0: Hi there, listeners. When we were recording this episode, we had so much to say, and we just kept recording for way too long. In the end, after trying to edit this episode down a bit, we decided to just split the episode in half and release it in two parts, about a week apart from each other. That means this part A of the episode will kind of cut off abruptly, and you'll have to wait for part B for the rest. Thank you for understanding.
1: Welcome to ace Interpretations, a podcast about asexuality, fandom, and where they intersect. I'm one of your hosts, Quartic. I'm KK. And I'm Love the Heaven. And today our topic is gonna be intersectionality. Uh, specifically, this is part one: gender roles. Uh, so, in the most simple, basic terms, you know, a framework to think about intersectionality is a Venn diagram. Uh, it is the space of overlap between uh, multiple identities that a person can have. But it's not just having two identities at the same time. It's that each identity is going to impact how the other one is experienced and perceived. It's important to, to think of it as it's not just the space where a person happens to have more than one it's the idea that they are inexplicably linked and tied together and they impact each other like the implications of this are that you can't separate out different identities and have them sort of in isolation so you can't just separate it out and talk about one person's experience of asexuality as if it's completely divorced from gender and has like as, as if gender has no impact on it because it absolutely does
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense so if you're trying to explain you know how a character experiences asexuality in extreme depth and really you know explain all the nuances of what being asexual means for this character it's usually pretty relevant whether they're non-binary or agender and then of course most likely a man or a woman especially when you're talking about fictional characters um we've got actually more non-binary people in the asexual community than men in like in-person communities that we've come across a lot of times but also in online asexual community census Um, But when it comes to fiction, we've got a lot more men uh, than non-binary as far as I'm aware. (laughs) But I'm just rambling.
1: I mean, that's just uh, probably a reflection of when people are writing fiction, they're basically like, especially because when you're talking about fiction, do you mean fan fiction?
0: Mm, All fiction, fan fiction, fiction, original fiction, published fiction, fiction, television, novels.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so the reason saying that there's more men in these is, basically because a lot of writers don't recognize non-binary as existing, Uh and they're writing for mainstream Americans, or no, just mainstream people. Main- Ma- mainstream audiences. Thank you. Yeah, that's the <sighs> one. Like- Talking about intersectionality, one of my identities is as an American, and that has shaped my worldview.
0: Yeah, we're all white Americans on this podcast, and especially in this episode, we are really, you know, we definitely are acknowledging that we all come from that perspective, and that we are, we we might miss the nuances of some of the other experiences that aren't the white American perspective, and within our age range, we all have yeah. a similar age range. And that all intersects with our experience of gender, of asexuality, of a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, that's part of the topic of the episode as a whole.
2: Yep. So we are sorry if we miss any like tiny things. And it's just because we only have one kind of experience per each of us. Well, not even just tiny
0: things. I mean, we are going to not even try to cover some of the bigger things right now. We're just going to kind of talk about maybe expectations of women, and we are mainly talking about white American women when we say that, for instance. And we acknowledge that here.
1: Yeah. Like, white American women contrasted with white American men um because like that's the easiest comparison to make uh because in the american population those are the two um there are more men and women than non-binary folk in the world i feel like i could pretty much say that somewhat safe like it's a numbers
0: thing probably Uh. yeah it's a majority demographic it's a yeah yes
1: demographic thank you like you break down the demographics uh Males and females dominate. Although, oh my goodness, and I I might put this in in show notes, I saw a great post on Tumblr, like, yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday, and it had this, it was an example of, like, why we can't and shouldn't dismiss things that are, like, low in frequency. Like, oh, what if, you know, because some estimates are, are, like, trans and non-binary folk might only be, like, like, 2 or 4% of the population. And you want to say, like, well, if it's so small, it's like negligible. It's like, well, if you only looked at like elements that make up the world, the the Earth's crust, if they had more than 5%, you would miss carbon. And it's like, if you know carbon exists, but you're ignoring it because you don't think it exists enough, (laughs) then your periodic table is going to be really sparse and you're going to have a poorer understanding of the world and of the things you're studying. I was like, Oh, it's so beautiful analogy. I mean, it it spoke to my scientist heart.
0: (laughs) Well, so we were talking about how there's more men and women than there are non-binary people. Right. Like demographics. That's,
1: and so to the point? um, Probably a lot of this discussion in this episode is going to be focused on uh, men and women just because That is what is most present in, uh, social consciousness, in media, in marketing, in all these, you know, forces that are pushing and pressuring people to act a particular way, do particular things. Marketing is super gendered, um, and it enforces, uh, gender norms and gender stereotypes. And then being exposed to these, like, forces, uh, definitely shapes sort of expectations of uh particularly like sexual activity right so i mean you just differences in skincare commercials and you know shaving and clothing and like all these things of like what women are quote-unquote supposed to care about and what men are supposed to care about a lot of people sort of uh familiar with the idea of like oh there's double standards you know like oh well there's double standards for between men and women um and it's absolutely annoying since they're just so arbitrary Ugh. um so because like societal expectations are heaped really strongly on men and women and not really on non-binary people like the expectation heaped on non-binary people is to be binary um, society doesn't really have a great number of expectations for what non-binary people should be like. Um, except maybe like, oh, you need to be like really androgynous, which is like not the case. I mean, that's just a, a stereotype, and it's like, well, not, not everybody who's non-binary is androgynous or wants to be androgynous. So. Yeah, so we're kind of talking about like men and women.
0: So a, so a double standard is just something that um, when it comes to gender, you wouldn't treat a man this way, but you would treat a woman this way. Or you wouldn't expect this of a, of a man, or, but you would a woman, and vice versa. You wouldn't expect this of a woman, but you would a man kind of thing,
1: right? Yeah, oh, a woman can get away with this, but a man can't. Oh, women are allowed to do this, but men can't. Or men can do this, and women can't. Um so I think a really sort of easy one to kind of pin down as it relates to asexuality would be the idea of virginity um and 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 tied with that is like promiscuity uh the idea that a guy who gets a lot of action is a stud it is like a positive thing teenage boys young men are not expected to be Virgins, like oh, it's if you're a virgin, it's like something to laugh at. I remember in um, what is it uh, the one with Bette Midler, the Halloween movie, and it's like you need to have a virgin to light the candle, and it's like what he is. Oh, um, hocus pocus. Thank you. Yes, I, I, I admittedly like, love that movie. Watching the first time, not knowing what a virgin was, like a lot of it kind of confused me. <laughs> um, but yeah, but he's a guy, and so. That's something that he is, like, shown to be embarrassed about. On the flip side, the expectation for teenage girls is like, oh, you need to hold on to your virginity. You need to wait, you know, until marriage if you're in certain schools um, or households. Um, You need to keep yourself pure. You want to make sure he's the one you are a slut if you have had any more than one partner or even just you had one partner and you're going to be labeled there's this whole thing about like for women
2: at least and some of my experience of it was that there's this whole concept of like you're ruined once you've lost it like that whole purity thing again yeah yeah
1: it's gone it's ruined it's damaged it's this and some sex ed programs make it like really explicit in like horrifying ways like so this is coming from what was i watching oh i think it was john oliver did one on sex ed yeah and so i love that episode and yeah. that was
2: the episode that made me and a friend of mine be like we would be better sex ed teachers but we would also be fired the first day
1: yes and they they do compare uh like like someone who's had sex to used sneakers and like used chewing gum and specifically comparing girls because like it was like the girlfriend in each of these situations who was being compared to the sneaker or to the chewing gum.
0: That that's purity culture and very common. The used uh used wrapper, you can't wrap it back up and it'd be perfect again. Use chewing gum, it can never be unchewed again. Yeah, that's a very common uh Thing and and a lot of uh, a lot of America, yep. um, <laughs>
2: and again a clear example of the whole double standard. Of, again, this is good for the male ideal, and yet on our half it's seen as a bad thing. Why?
1: Yeah, um, it it's really harmful. It doesn't help prevent teen pregnancies, and it completely misrepresents the hymen to men so they have like no idea how any of it actually
0: works not just um, men get confused as well by this uh inaccurate sex
1: <laughs> okay yeah sorry sorry you know what i should have s- cis men sorry
0: no and i mean everyone like you don't understand your own hymen but yes also for the record i understand my own hymen i mean you don't necessarily <laughs> know, by I'm default understand it with and when right. you are taught you know this in as a teenager yeah, it's it's complicated.
1: Yeah, I I didn't get it in my high school. They didn't explain hymens at all. I think I got it, like, maybe a bit from fan fiction, maybe? Or, like, Adam Ruins Everything? They say Adam
2: Ruins Everything actually has a great episode about the hymen. so all of our listeners, if you're interested in some fun science facts, and if you like Adam Ruins Everything, there's an episode there about it. It's very fun, actually. Is that on YouTube, or...?
1: Yeah, I mean the full episodes are available for purchase on YouTube, but you can find clips also on YouTube that aren't pirated. It's just like I think it's also on Netflix now. Not that particular episode. Netflix it's hot. only has one. Oh. yeah, I've only got one season. Okay. Well, maybe actually, no, they do because I was watching it with my parents. That
0: was fun. Okay, so Adren's everything is on Netflix right now. If we want, to, yes. if someone wants to check it out, um, we can. Uh, Fill the gaps in your sex ed knowledge. But uh, but yeah, no, there's lots of places to fill the gaps of your sex ed knowledge that are pretty good online compared to what a lot of American public schools and private schools and home schools still teach. Um, but but that's getting away from the point a bit. Um, right. The,
2: that's the whole double standard thing. Um, another good example of that actually is just like behavior in general, like workplace I think the best example I ever heard about was that was the whole women have to work twice as hard thing, which is partly true. But another thing is, let's say a man has a bad day at the office. He's allowed like it's expected that he'll you know be angry, that he'll have a hissy fit, that he'll maybe even like throw a chair around. But if a woman does it, she's hysterical. She's like crazy. She's losing her mind. Men
1: are not allowed to throw chairs in the office either. No, but the repercussions are like... Yeah, but you know what I mean. It might, they're not necessarily going to be fired. There's an unlimited number of double standards, but we're not here to talk about double standards. We're here to talk about intersectionality of asexuality and gender roles. Uh, and now talk a little bit more about how uh, the gender roles of our society um, affect our experience of being asexual. Yes. Or vice versa. Yes. So, for example, this idea, you know, we we mentioned like, oh, that the boys are meant to be hypersexual and, you know, getting the action and chasing girls. And if you aren't that, if you aren't, if you've never had any sex at all, if you are not interested in it because you are asexual, that expectation is gonna compound any feelings you might have of not working right or of, of being broken because the model being set out for you is very specific that oh you you should be having this and you yourself aren't.
2: Yeah and there are even some cases of like denial where you'll where you might express that like I don't feel that way and because of this standard, people turn it into oh, you just haven't like met the right person yet or oh, you will like in a week or whatever
1: yeah which isn't to say that women can't also feel that there's something wrong or broken like that is something that is the, like the asexual experience
0: yeah there's this aspect of to be a successful man in society you you perform heterosexuality successfully and ace teenage boys will usually notice fairly early on that they're failing to perform heterosexuality effectively for whatever reason. uh, Because usually, you know, guys are bonding over the attractiveness of women and they don't fit in. That's a, and that's a universal type of thing because women also bond over the attractiveness of men. Heterosexual girls will do the same thing towards boy bands and stuff, but it's a different, um, way of doing it it's a gender gender shifts the exact way these gendered bonding rituals happen i think does that make some sense like
2: it does i think so but i have not experienced the male half of bonding over seeing hot girls
0: (laughs) right but i think often it's a little more um it's more overt there's different language around it and we see it in fiction a lot more than, uh, like someone like me who's a woman has witnessed it firsthand. We see more caricatures and exaggerated hyperbole forms of it, perhaps. But maybe that's actually what it's like for certain pockets of American male populations. Like I, I don't really so, know.
2: Yeah. So I think. So- the- so it's what you're describing, the whole, um, like, image of, like, the guys, like, high-fiving, like, loudly in public over it and stuff like that. Is, like, is that the caricature you're kind of
0: referencing? Perhaps. Yeah, stuff like... Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to make sure I'm, I'm picking the same caricature that you Yeah, Yeah, og- ogling, ogling women openly and talking about it when they're, like basically within earshot, like you know, yeah. the most extreme fiction might, might show that. Uh,
1: yeah. Not to, uh, not to cause any flashbacks to 2016, but the, the debate that arose around like what is and is not locker room talk.
0: Right. Uh, oh gosh. And there,
1: there were not as many women who were defending it as just locker room talk. And people say, Oh, well women do the same thing in locker rooms. And a lot of them are like, no, we don't. Uh, no, Literally never done that in a locker room ever in my life.
0: <laughs> well, we're ace, but no, we've never like I don't okay, I didn't think the other people even I didn't when I've
2: other... had conversations about like, like oh that person's attractive in a locker room. It's never been that. Been
0: what? Yeah, so it's a very complicated uh thing to try to unpack, but Yeah, so
1: so I think, yeah, so that's like women's response to locker room talk. You did a really nice job love, on uh, like performative
0: masculinity. Right. So I mean, one of the things that a lot of girls might focus more on is the romance side of things. And it's expected It's more that they would care more about romance that all they would care about maybe is romance. And it's kind of taboo for girls to care about sex regardless of romance in many contexts and the opposite is true of boys it's taboo for them to care too much about the romance and it should be all sex it should be all lack of feelings which we sort of touched on a bit with toxic masculinity in the last episode about bromances but Um, the
1: idea that like a guy who who cares genuinely about his girlfriend's feelings is said to be whipped yeah you know, like, oh, she's got you, you know, bowling you around, or or it's like he's not asserting himself enough because he, like, shows feelings. Um, And I think for girls, it's also the idea of you have to be attractive. Um, You have to, like, dress the right way, like, you are trying to attract a guy. And so, I mean, guys, they don't, to to my my understanding, and again, it's a biased viewpoint, but a lot of the media isn't really focused on, like, you have to wear the right thing and and dress the right way and use the right shampoo in order to get a girl. Like that's not where the focus seems to be.
2: There's definitely a difference in marketing. And actually, so I just had a thought actually kind of referencing back to the caricature you mentioned, uh, love the heaven. I just remember. So like the parallel to like the guy version of like the high fiving and loudly proclaiming is the picture you would see of like the girls would be like a group of them huddled together, like whispering about it. Right. If anything, it's not an outspoken thing. It's
0: kind of secreted away in the corner, Yeah, kind of taken away from view. In, in a lot of contexts, that's true. The, the gendered expectations for the girls are much more... They, they have these feelings and express them in a different way, and it's usually quieter and more controlled and more, you know... Boys will be boys on one side, but girls know how to, you know, they're 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 adept at the social situations and they're controlling who gets to hear what they have to say and their reactions and all of that. There is a, also a caricature of uh, girls being crazy over like, you know, mm-hmm. men in a band or something. Um, yeah. I think there's a little bit of like a. a I don't even know. It's, I mean, I think you know, they, it's really complicated <laughs> sometimes. I've started watching crazy ex-girlfriend and I had been really kind of
1: hesitant to start looking at first because like the premise, uh, is kind of, I was like, Oh, is this going to make me really uncomfortable? Am I, is it going to be like a lot of secondhand embarrassment? Is it, um, but one of the things it does, because it is like, it's, Actually, and this was like a friend who was like, "No, no, 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 no." This like it, it really, um, makes a really good point. And I'm trying to remember what my original objection. It was.
0: deconstructs
1: the tropes, right? Yes, exactly. It deconstructs the trope, and so yeah, I ha- I have her actually heard that. So one of the things is like, like she has, a, like it's a mental illness that she's struggling with, um, and so like the sort of tropes like oh, like the supportive best friend who's really being an enabler. Like, and the enabling makes things worse. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, no, you can win this guy back. It's like, no, she shouldn't be doing that. And the narrative makes it really clear, like, what's really going on. So it's not just like, ha, 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 you know, like, laughing at, at the situation, you know, as if it were, like, a sitcom or something. And so, yeah, I mean, I was just reminded of that because you mentioned, you know, stereotypes about girls being crazy. Well, and I- medicine that also comes up is this whole
2: thing of, like, The girls who break out of that norm get labeled as like crazy or she's a bitch or, you know, whatever else
0: they want to call her. So there's a lot of ways that gender and gendered expectations of you uh, often play into the experience of your asexuality. And I think um, it's a complicated thing, but... It might be it might be a useful format if each of us kind of explain a little bit about our own experiences personally with it. It's
1: been a while since we had structured personal anecdotes. <laughs> like yep. our
0: coming out episode.
1: Well,
2: I mean it'd be a little bit different. I mean I'm not gonna <laughs> I don't know I... I don't I don't know if my gender role
1: affected how I told people. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what my gender is, so
0: like I, I do think it's very relevant to talk about how Cordic doesn't know what their gender is just briefly, just because it's the elephant in the room, probably for certain listeners, especially the non binary listeners who are trying to figure out if we're all women or not, um, and stuff well, like that. Well, that would be a good reason to do the interview format, because it would be just
2: a way to say that again.
1: Okay. So the first sort of example that kind of comes to mind is this t-shirt that I had when I was see, freshman in high school. Or possibly a sophomore. Early, early high school. Um, and I hadn't really given my gender much thought at that point. I just kind of assumed I was a girl. And now I've been, gosh, since like 2014 I've been kind of like, am I a girl? And Five years later, I'm still asking that question, which makes me think I can uh, disprove the null hypothesis. Uh, in this case, I- I'm just assuming that if I was cisgendered, I would have been able to conclude that by now. Um, like, I-, I wouldn't still be asking the question.
0: <laughs> yeah, most most cis people don't question for however many years.
1: Exactly. Um, but I'm also just really apathetic, so I'm not really seeking out a, a gender identity. Like, maybe I'm a gender, but
0: like. So, so you're, you're ambivalent about your gender at this point?
1: Yeah, like, ambivalent to the point where it's kind of like, I just rather not be asked, because if I'm asked, like, I don't have an answer, but I'm also not invested in the answer. So, like, if people say, like, she, her pronouns, it's like, yeah, whatever. If people say they, them, it's like, that's a little bit more accurate. Um, he, him, it's like, oh, give re-. It's And that was one of the clues that, like, I might not be cisgendered is because it, it kind of feels nice to be misgendered um, if people say, like, oh, young man or sir, but not enough that I, like, identify as male. Like, mm-hmm.
0: you know. I've heard that from a lot of non-binary um, assigned female at birth people that being called he, him, or sir is, like, a wake-up call that it doesn't feel really like like misgendering per se it's it feels mm-hmm. like something else <laughs> like
1: like oh give yourself a pat on the back you're doing something right <laughs> um
0: and you're like oh wait what <laughs> um right so you hadn't questioned your gender yet and you had yeah. this shirt yes a shirt
1: yeah um and so okay the other thing to understand is like all through like puberty right like once my chest started growing I just started wearing baggy shirts, right. And fleeces. Like my whole family was like, Oh wow. Uh, she sure does love wearing fleeces. Uh And honestly, it was like, I didn't have a bra and I didn't know how to ask for one. And I didn't know at what point did I need one. And like, I had one from like, that just came with like a pair of underwear for like my birthday from a distant relative. It's, I mean, just in a literal sense, like, they were grandparents, but they live very, very far away. And I was like, oh, well, the point at which I need to wear a bra is whenever this thing fits me, and it still doesn't really fit me comfortably, so I guess I don't need a bra. Um, <laughs> the answer there actually being like, it just wasn't ever going to be a good fit. But then, oh, then it was like, oh, but if I start wearing one, people might notice that I wasn't wearing one before, and I'm just going to hope everyone thinks I just have like a really hard-to-notice (laughs) one. I put, I was, ugh, it was a mess. But, finally, freshman year, I'm wearing a bra, and I'm like, okay. But I haven't really given up all the baggy clothes that, like, make me most comfortable. And, it's like, start of school year, clothes shopping, and I'm with my dad and stepmom, and they find this, like, green t-shirt, and it's really skin-tight. And I don't like that. But they're oh wow oh you look so amazing oh you should get it and I do and I'm like okay and it kind of like I was able to like buy into the compliment enough that like oh maybe I do like this shirt after all and oh I I could wear it but it wasn't me to be showing off assets like that like that was my, my what I thought this shirt was all about you know. And, and I definitely had my own biases, and I, like, judged my peers who did wear skin-tight shirts, you know. I know better now not to make those judgments, but at the time, like, what did I know? Um, and so it was, like, in hindsight, I can see that that was definitely, like, oh, I should be looking a certain way as a girl. And the way that I was meant to be looking was one that I personally associated with, like, sexuality you know, like showing off your breast was like a sexual thing to my perception. Um, and so I was like dressing more sexually because people complimented me on it and not because it made me comfortable or it was what I wanted to be doing.
0: Yeah, I can actually transition into that. Um, pretty related note. When I first started dating someone like more than, more than a couple dates. uh, And I was I was already 23 graduated from college. I had tried online dating finally. um, And when I was 22, and into 23, kind of and this was the first successful uh, endeavor there. So I finally had started seeing guys uh, finding me attractive, openly telling me hi, beautiful on online dating sites and stuff. And my new boyfriend also was telling me like he had sexual fantasies about me, like, I guess, based on how I looked. And it was a very confusing uh, (laughs) experience when I didn't quite understand I was asexual yet. And I didn't really, you know, I was trying to understand where I fit into straight women and trying to convince myself I was straight. And there was all this uh, complicated baggage that comes with being uh, a fat woman (laughs) and having not really worn makeup and having frizzy hair and all sorts of things. And I basically knew I was supposed to take being found sexy as a compliment. And it's kind of like, I blogged about this a bit, but like in order to be worth something in society, you can't be ugly. Ugly is like you're worthless, and the choices seem to be like in a binary of like ugly versus sexually attractive to people, kind of like if they might be attracted to your gender, they should find you sexy kind of like like it, it was sort of that that type of weird binary, and I didn't quite understand that I was like a sex averse ace at that point, and that there's like no sexual situation. That I could really be in, where like I was actually a participant in sex that would make that would be happy or good. Like, I'm averse to it all. So, for me personally, I was caught in this like you can't win scenario for because I'm a woman, where there was and it felt like it was because I was a woman. I it, now it was just a very gendered way of you have to either be sexy or ugly kind of and neither one felt good but they felt bad in different ways if that makes any sense it does (laughs) and so i think um i figured out with time that what i really like is modest like non-sexy femininity that's maybe a little a little on the juvenile or, you know, infantilizing side of things. But I don't want to be seen as a child. I want to be seen as an adult. So you have to try to find some weird, modest form of femininity. But I really like feeling pretty. I really like feeling very feminine. I just don't want to feel sexy. So if there's any types of things that are feminine but not sexy and also are compatible with being fat or, you know, which is complicated because a lot of the femininity things are have to do with being very skinny um <laughs> there's uh that's a whole thing against the fashion industry that that's another intersectional identity of mine i wear plus size clothing and i'm over 200 pounds so i mean it's definitely like a complicated thing where i like jewelry i like long hair i love i've always loved wearing dresses i lo- <laughs> you know that kind of thing and yet i don't want to show off my cleavage i really don't want to do that and sometimes I felt like I had to because of the only clothes I could find were like that. But then I found ways to avoid it in recent years. And I feel better about all of my outfits when I'm not accidentally showing off cleavage and stuff like that. Like, does that make any sense? It makes plenty of sense. It's, you were experiencing a dissonance
2: yeah, between kind of like some of the expectations and how you felt about it. Yeah. That's Okay. So, KK, what's your experience? Well, so my experience is actually kind of similar to Quartix. So growing up, um, my mom actually loves to tell this story about how, like, there was a point in my childhood where, like, the only thing I would wear was, like, leggings and, like, dresses. Like, that was it. And then just like, got to this point where I was, like, I'm done with that. And I was, like, wearing pants all the time. And all through, like, middle school and high school, I would actually wear, I guess what you would call, if you're looking at, like, the clothing side of the store, like, the boys' clothing. I would always wear stuff like that. Um, And part of that had to do with, while my schools had a dress code, it was a relaxed one because it was a public school. So, like... Girls could wear skirts and dresses, but they had to be a certain length. And like, if you were going to wear shirts, they had to be like this much of your arm covered. And yet they had to have collars or whatever. And part of that dress code was that the school had uh, like logoed shirts, just regular t-shirts that had like the school logo on them. No collar, just like a graphic t-shirt. And me, loving graphic t-shirts I of course decided I'm just gonna wear those all the time because that's what I felt comfortable in and so middle school high school um very differently than most of the other girls in my school I didn't worry about going out and buying a lot of colored t-shirts or anything like that I would just buy the school graphic design t-shirts and I would just wear those in jeans because that's what I was comfortable in and I had plenty of friends that would actually like dress up, wear makeup and stuff like that. But I was never comfortable in all that. And when I was in middle school, my mom actually kind of a similar traumatizing bra story a little bit. Cause in middle school, I had not developed anything yet. I was basically a stick of a human. So a late bloomer. Yeah. I didn't really even start kind of de- like developing breasts or anything like that till like, beginning of high school
0: i know that's kind of a tricky phrase for asexuals but i'm not talking about in the sexual attraction sense i'm only talking about in the boob sense (laughs) it's true
2: so in middle school my mom actually got me like a few training bras because she was like you're gonna have to be in like p.e class and stuff like that with girls who have already developed and she didn't want me to feel uncomfortable So she got me training bras that way I would have something to wear to kind of be like, kind of fit in. But, you know, just more so, I think, because she didn't want me to get like picked on or bullied or anything like that. And I do think my experience is also probably different because of my mother, my father, two people who are both pretty open minded and kind of raised me with like, you do what's comfortable for you. Like, if you're happy, you're not hurting anyone. You do you. So I think also because of that, I was like, I'm going to just wear graphic t-shirts. I love those. I wish I could wear ones that say what I want them to say, like fun, you know, cartoon sayings or like puns and stuff like that. But school dress code is what it is. So I'll wear the school ones. And, you know, I was already like a tiny individual. I was already like a real thin kid. It was like, I don't really want to be picked on more than I already am. I'll wear the training bras. At least on days of my PE. Now, when I got to high school, the dress code was a little bit more lenient. It was similar guidelines about like shoulder length and what girls can wear, and like no tank tops, because you know shoulders are terrifying to men. Put it out there. Yeah, it's. But no, yeah, definitely. Like the whole like, oh my god, the shoulder. Like I have never seen a shoulder been like that sexy. <laughs> Which, again, I'm on the A spectrum, so it doesn't mean as much, but I have to say, yeah, never.
0: Well, shoulders can be sexy in some contexts, but in this context, it's a bit of a ridiculously unfair double standard and stretch that Yeah, the types of clothing that are not necessarily sexual at all that many women and girls want to wear, like sleeveless shirts as is the style, they are not allowed to wear. (laughs) So
2: in high school, of course, I did actually start to kind of like develop boobs and stuff like that. So I had to get like actual real bras. And to be honest, I have never liked bras. Like they've always been uncomfortable to me just because I'm like, I've got these straps on. There's this thing wrapped around me. (laughs) And clothing-wise, my fashion didn't change. I basically was like, oh, so I can now just wear graphic T-shirts as long as I don't say something offensive? I'm in. And I would just wear flannels, I would wear jackets, and I would wear just my normal graphic T-shirts. And as long as my legs were covered, which since I just like to wear jeans anyways, I was always good. And again, this was another phase where, again, all my friends would start wearing more makeup, they would have a lot of jewelry, and I would basically have maybe, like, a pair of earrings in, maybe a necklace sometimes, but I'd still be wearing it with my T-shirt and my jeans and my tennis shoes. It was never a thing for me. I never went into stores looking for this thing that was tight-fitting or this thing that was this. I spent most of my high school being more upset about the fact that women's jeans did not have...
1: Big pockets. I wear men's jeans now. It's great. Right? The that you figure I out can't can even that. reach the bottom, like my fingertips, so like don't go all the way to the bottom. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fun fact to our listeners. Women, you can get boy jeans. Fun fact, they are basically measured by waist size. So just figure out like what size you are in the waist, and you can get men's skinny jeans. And the pockets are amazing. It's glorious. Yeah. You can <laughs> fit like a 3DS and stuff in there.
1: Yeah, the two, there's two measurements. So instead of, like, arbitrarily giving a size a number and then having that number be different between brands or, like, within a brand, uh, there's, like, the first number is the waist and the second number is the inseam, which is, like, the length. Which is great for me, because, like, otherwise I have to get, like, pants, like, short all the time or I have to, like, hem them myself. Um, but then it's like, there no, it's just it's just the second number. I just need, it's great. Anyway. Yeah, because for me, I th- like thinking about makeup. Um, it isn't so. I don't think in. The, well, maybe it is. Who knows? I've only ever had my own identities, and I don't know what goes with what. And a lot of times, part of intersectionality is it, it goes to both. It's like I don't like wearing makeup. Um, I used to think that this was because when I was in first grade, our class put on this sort of circus performance type thing and we were all given roles and i was a lion and i loved being a lion but then on the day of the performance we had to get like whiskers drawn on our face and she like just stabbed that makeup pencil into my cheeks and it really (laughs) hurt and i was like "Ugh, makeup is awful oh gosh forever (laughs) so and then so like later i'd be like no i don't like makeup i didn't like doing face paint or anything because i had this really terrible first memory of like Getting whiskers stabbed onto my face. See, I just have the feel of all of it on my skin. It feels heavy. I think actually, it's really now it's become more of an, like an appearance thing. Like at my sister's wedding, like I'm I'm in the, I'm a bridesmaid and we're all going and getting our makeup and nails done like professionally. And I'm like, you know, the the bare minimum like oh so like like even less than the bare minimum. You know, like I want it to be like like as little makeup as possible. And it's i like I could see like okay I look nice but now when I look back at pictures I'm like that's not me in those pictures I kind of wish I was in the pictures of this wonderful event that I have fond memories of but I can't see myself right um, when I'm it's like it's I don't know if it's like if it counts as dysphoria or not like gender's a big confusing thing to me but it's like part of me just like rejects the me that wears makeup so I'm just I don't do that anymore yeah and so yeah is it that i associate makeup with femininity and i'm not a girl and that's why i don't like makeup or is it that a part of me still associates makeup with trying to catch a guy and i reject that as an asexual person and it's like i don't know it's just both of those could be true as just my personal experience uh as love the heaven says like that's not true of all asexuals because some asexuals Really love makeup, so it's not like a uniquely. When when did I say something along these lines? Did you? Maybe you didn't. I thought you. I thought you mentioned talking about like liking feminine things and and. Uh, do you wear makeup, or like wearing?
0: Right. So makeup is a very complicated thing for me. Where before I figured out I was asexual, I was trying to understand why I wasn't putting more effort into figuring out makeup. I didn't really have any female family members to teach me how to use makeup. And so I felt left behind. And then I got used to my appearance without makeup. So it felt hard to break into it. And I felt weird about makeup. And I still kind of do. And I don't really use it. I've tried to use it a little bit for job interviews. I felt like I had to sometimes. And only like half the job interviews I went to did I wear it. And I wear very little. Like... And I don't know what I'm doing. And I watched YouTube tutorials, and I just, like, was like, ah, I still don't know what I'm doing. I really liked playing with makeup when I was, like, in ballet in elementary school. But then I just never actually got into it. And once I figured out I was asexual, I wondered if it might be related to my asexuality, that I never was motivated to learn how to make my face as perfect as possible for guys or something. But I still don't really know. I still don't know what if they're just unrelated and I happen to not wear makeup and I happen to be asexual or if they are related in some way. Well,
2: it could be both because – so I know people who wear makeup just for themselves. Like to them, it's an art form and they just love the appearance. They love being able to get that eyeliner perfect so they have the right wing and all that. And they love all the creativity that comes with it. But I also know people that are perfectly better on the cis het spectrum. And they just don't like makeup. Because much like me, they don't like how it feels on their skin. Because in high school, when I started thinking about my sexuality and stuff like that, I mean, I identify as a girl. I identify as female. And I just... That's just been my way my whole life. There's... For me, there's never been a moment where I've questioned it. That's, I'm just like, nah, I'm a girl. There's never been some kind of disconnect there for me. So for me, makeup definitely was seen as kind of like a feminine thing where it was like expected of women. But I never fit that. Much like I didn't fit the whole got to go find the pretty shirt that I can still wear to school, make sure to base dress code. Again, I was always there. I would usually find shirts in the boys section that I liked better and I would wear those because that's what I was comfortable in. So high school for me with figuring out things. And I know, I believe I said on here that I figured out that I was asexual later. I didn't really figure it out till I was like 20. So throwing that out there to the viewers if I forgot to mention that. So I figured I was bisexual first. And I noticed kind of my lack of interest. But with asexuality, I don't think that affected me as much in terms of my gender roles. I think for me it was more just I never really fit it.
0: I have seen online um a fair number of like threads on blogs and maybe even on Avon, I can't remember. But it was usually it was mainly a few years ago I saw this, but a bunch of people saying that they were in their twenties already, maybe young twenties, but they were not comfortable With the word woman, because they associated it with being sexy or with being a sexualized. These were people who identified as female or as girls or as other words, and they were like, "I'm rejecting that word woman." And you'd get a few people who were like, "Girl is way too juvenile for me. I'm definitely a woman." And then it was just a really interesting discussion of what woman meant to a bunch of these people on the blog. and i might be able to find some links for the uh, archive room page for this episode but i mean i do think that there's a lot of really complicated gendered expectations that certain people feel like they attach to certain words <laughs> and and i don't know i i feel like this is also part of that discussion like so the aces who are asexual people who feel like they're still female. They're still girls, but the word "woman" is just too much, or it takes it takes more to feel like they, it fits them. They sometimes they have to get older than maybe their heterosexual peers before it feels right for whatever reason.
2: Maybe I I I, just, well, I, I think, think part of that it might also be kind of like the whole nature and nurture thing because again we do have this society image of like you said that like what a woman is like what that term kind of means society wise and for me I do think that's a little bit different just because of like who my mom is and like a lot of the people I grew up around because most of them were people that like I was very fortunate that I grew up in a lot of around a lot of people who are just a hundred percent comfortable with who they are and I do think that that gave me a slightly different experience in terms of like what woman means. Because to me, if you say the word woman, I just think of kind of the definition, which to me is just an older female, which can be anywhere from like 20 to infinity, where a girl is just like a young female. So for me, that word doesn't have that same connotation that you're talking about. So it's interesting to hear it.
1: I think the... The rejection of like the woman, and because of its all the connotations, is really so like what you're saying of the heaven about uh, performative masculinity, um, that there is a, a female equivalent. Yeah, a
0: performative femininity.
1: <laughs> yeah, performative femininity. That like the word woman encapsulates all the things women are expected to do. Um, so in that case, it's like, yeah, it, there is a female equivalent to, to that. And it, it shows up differently um, because, of course, the expectations are different. So there was this post, and I'm not going to try and find it. I'm going to just let it lie. because uh, This was a while ago, and it might have been be around him. But it was like someone, the original you know, OP, had original poster, had this concept that, oh, like, it was meant to be some kind of like yin and yang idea that, like, you know, women and needs a man because... Like they they feel each other's deficits, um, but the thing was just like really kind of gross in the assumption that like oh men just are incapable of like having feelings and like need a woman to like have all the feelings. I would just
2: I would just have to say I'm offended on so many levels already.
1: Yeah, have all the feelings for him, and then like women need someone to be strong because they have like no strength themselves, and we pro- and we compliment each other so perfectly. Oh, it's so great. And was like, oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so talking about the, the expectations and, uh, and a big one for women is child rearing. The expectation is if you don't have a child, you have to want a child. Um, and this will deviate a bit from, from asexuality, but it's just worth noting how hard it is to get a hysterectomy, even if it's like medically necessary, because doctors don't want to give it to you they will assume you will want kids and it's like if I have another kid this isn't me personally so like there's accounts like more than one time you know people have come forward and said like if I have another kid it could kill me or it could put my life at risk yeah but you might want another one like wh- uh, uh. It's like, oh, you're in excruciating pain constantly, and it's like if you just take the uterus out, it would go away. But yeah. you might want to have a kid.
0: It's also a tubal ligation as well. The getting your mm-hmm. tubes tied. Up, that's also people don't they want to make it so it's easy that they will never get pregnant, and uh, and they're not allowed. <laughs> so yeah. it's not just the hysterectomy procedure.
1: But you can get a boob job at eighteen. It's true. Although I will,
2: I will give the doctors this. Like, as much, I told, there's this part of me that gets why they do that. Because there are some women who would get that, regret it, and then... Be very angry, but at the it, same time I'm like, you could have them sign a form saying they can't take any action against you no, for this.
1: No, but the, the idea of, like, surgeries you'll regret, you could also regret a boob job,
0: you know? You can regret any surgery, and they treat these very differently. They treat it paternalistic. You could
1: regret a tattoo. Oh, no,
0: I'm not arguing against them treat it differently. They definitely do, but I'm saying that
2: there is a section of my brain that, that says, I get why they would initially be sensitive. Do I think they take it to way extremes? Ridiculous levels? Yes.
1: It's just not their job to say that, though. Well, and
2: that is also true. There are legal ways you can be like, they sign a form ahead of time saying that they have agreed to
1: this. Well, yeah, of course. That's true for all surgeries. Yeah,
2: all, all surgeries have... But again, that's my point where it's like, if you have that form, why are you making such a big deal about yeah, this? Yeah, everyone gets
1: informed consent. And... Yeah. and again, that comes into the low out portion.
0: aware of the risks all that yeah
1: yeah it's like similar with like like boob reduction is is really hard it's like it can cause like back problems and and posture issues and just be a total pain but it's like doctors don't want to make them smaller they're much more willing to make them bigger because women are sexual objects
0: fun times (laughs) so we could talk a little bit more about fandom again, unless there were some other gender things that we haven't gotten to.
1: No, yeah, I think, I think we've covered gender. I mean, cause we've at this point, we covered it
2: and basically everything we've covered actually does translate into fandoms in different places.
0: I mean, yeah, but I was just wondering if there's anything without specifically talking about fandom for a second that we wanted to make sure we brought up. So, I mean, certain people with a lot of intersectional identities that are all marginalized identities you know, you're both, you're disabled and black and gay and whatever, and, and it all adds up. And then you're like, I can't ever find disabled black gay people in my fiction. Yeah. Well, it's not only the disabled black gay people that are going to enjoy a work of fiction about such a character. And in fact, it'll actually, you know, broaden the perspectives of all the viewers of the TV show or all the readers of that novel or, you know, like all, it, it'll, it's important for everyone to be, you know, reminded of, you know, the ways those intersectional identities can play out and how it's a different experience to be, you know, all of those things as opposed to a white asexual person, for instance, you know, we've got, um, some of these intersectional identities, you don't get the validation of seeing yourself represented when you have a lot of marginalized identities. Um, But it's important for both the people who aren't getting representation and the people in their life and the people who have never yet met someone like that. All of those people, it's kind of important to see that kind of thing in fiction because fiction kind of helps us understand reality and and have a better perspective of the world going forward or a worse one. It shapes the perspective in various ways. Seeing
2: all kinds of representation is really good for people. Because it's not just for people to relate to. It's also for people to better understand these situations. Yeah. Which there's actually... a—I re- forgot to say this, but there's a right. really interesting study that was done, actually, where they actually were kind of t- seeing about people who like read a bunch of fantasy as opposed to people who don't. And a lot of people who read lots of different kind of fantasy and fiction and stuff like that have higher empathy than people who don't. Because they find themselves better equipped... At putting themselves in these other characters' shoes.
0: Or do they already have better empathy and then decide to start looking? <laughs> we
2: deserve all the same rights. Every single human being. Let us have it. I mean, you can.
1: Yeah, like, so so like cis men should have the right to boob reductions?
2: <laughs> I'm gonna put it this way, okay? Let's put it this way. If we can have so many different medications so that men can get erections there should be plenty of other stuff for women, too.
0: Okay, no, we're not talking about that in our asexuality podcast where Flybanserin and Addy is a big uh, concern for the asexual right. community.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's a whole part of that whole rant I have about I'm just, that. I'm
0: just saying the female Viagra that they advertise, which is totally not that, and more like an antidepressant that they're it's misusing uh, <laughs> is far what I think of when you start talking about medications for men to get erections and women should get the same
1: yeah that's that's just i think that falls under like the idea of like double standards which i think we've covered never mind ignore that okay yeah so fandom we we haven't really touched on fandom yet um i think it's interesting well not interesting to note uh worth it talking about demographics i think and i well, I I don't want to just start throwing statistics out there and be like, yeah, somebody looked at the data and said this. I don't know who it was or who collected the data, but is it just a stereotype or is it true that, that more fanfiction writers are female?
0: There have been certain people trying to collect demographics of the people who participate in fanfiction writing and reading communities for many years now, and they range from very young to much older than some people realize and they skew very female
1: mm-hmm.
0: and even skew a little bit more queer than some people think so not everyone who writes male male fanfiction slash fanfiction is actually heterosexual but a lot of them are women
1: i think so it's like the looking at like fandom history and the origin of what looks like modern fandom because I think we mentioned in like an earlier podcast that we're like there were the Baker Street Irregulars, um, there were people writing like fan stories about you know Conan Doyle or uh, about uh, Sherlock Holmes, you know, yeah, way back you know hundred years ago, um, but sort of like the modern idea, like modern fanzines, that started in the Star Trek fandom. Hi. <laughs> what, yeah. What people a lot of of people today don't realize is like Star Trek was a very housewife show at the time like that was its reputation um it was looked down by like men it's like oh that's something for women you know um that's a women's show
2: for the record listeners you can't hear it but you can my eye is actually twitching of rage <laughs> <laughs> no, no no be proud because be No, no, no. i'm a i'm a proud trekkie and i'm so proud of the show's history but the whole thing about again like Hi God, this is a women's show or whatever. I'm sorry. It automatically it, it, there's just inherent rage that okay, happens. So I apologize.
1: Yeah, you're you're inherently outraged at ridiculous, arbitrary gender norms. Be proud of the awesome women who made fandom a thing. Oh um,
2: yeah, no, I, I
1: love them. Yeah, you know, Lucille Ball, like when the show got you know canceled, like, and then like it was women who who like Lucille was on the board of trustees or something and and really pushed to have the show, you know, kept on the air or syndicated or what have you. Um and without that it would not have been picked up and evolved into the amazing franchise it is today. And you know like you watch the original it's it's something similar goes on with like Doctor Who when people complain like that the Doctor's a woman now. And how can this be? And it's like have you been watching this show that's that's about tolerance and accept, like like that is the show is <laughs> about tolerating and about the beautiful diversity of people and I mean even alien yeah, anyway. Um so like women were the ones who like were circulating these fanzines. They were writing fan fiction and creating fan art and they organized the first fan conventions. Like, they were the driving force behind creating fan spaces. Um, Also, like, science fiction as a genre. Um, Just, you know, women being awesome. Uh, And so, I think some of that has carried on into, like, modern fan fiction. uh, Because, like, the fanzines moved from, like, the physical space onto the internet. And it was still, like, the older fandom members who, like, remembered things and teach the next generation. And it's like you have a lot of women who are like leading the way, and then it spreads around and it becomes a women's thing. And then this goes back to just you know, if anything, a lot of women like it must be terrible. Or, I mean, that's just uh, there's you know like oh why do this, this goes into like the pay gap. Like well women just you know happen to choose careers that don't pay as good. Like actually once enough women move into a particular uh, job the job starts paying less like anthropology used to be a really hard science it used to be male dominated it used to pay well um, then it became more and more women went into anthropology and now it seems oh it's like a softer STEM subject it's hardly even real science and the average pay of an anthropologist has gone down so the idea that oh it'd be- Fan fiction has a stigma against it as being, like, juvenile or, like, poorly written or just not real writing. And these are all untrue. Um, and I, I wonder how much of that is because a lot of it is written by women for women. Like, it is a known uh, thing that that females enjoy. Uh, so, therefore, it must be terrible. Ugh. Okay, I'm done, ranting. I'm done. I'm done.
2: Well, for the record, you are right. It was actually cancelled back in the day. For the record, just because I'm a nerd and I know this, it was cancelled after its third season. And for the record, that cancellation is still... I believe it was aired on a show that was like the 25 biggest TV blunders or something like that. Like there's a show that aired and it was ranked highly in that review. Because again... When they were saying that they were going to be canceled, like there were tons of fan letters that came in to calmness and stuff like that. Just saying like, how can you cancel this? We love it. And all of that. And it still got done. But again, after a couple of years, it got brought back. Power of fans, people. Cool.
1: Yay. Yeah. Power of fans. Absolutely.
0: that's it for part a folks i know that cut off kind of abruptly but in about one week we're posting part b and you can just listen to the rest of intersectionality part one gender roles then thank you so much for listening and for your support